and welcome to Surviving on Wine and Cuss Words. I'm Emily. And I'm Charlotte. Before we get started, I want to start off with a trigger warning for discussions of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and emotional abuse. Childhood sexual abuse also, which might need to be added in there. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming back. Yes, let's go ahead and get started. We're so excited. Um, we have new microphones, so if we sound a little bit different, that might be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different drinks because it's <laughs> it's a crazy time because I'm on wine and Emily's on coffee because I am coming off working midnights and Emily's about to start working midnights. So yes. it's, a, it's a crazy time for us, but we get together and do it when we can. Yes, yes. It's definitely... Um, crazy we just realized i had my pants on backwards this whole last time we were getting ready for this tag flapping out like you might be just a little bit tired charlotte right (laughs) but we're glad we're here we're glad you're here and well before we get into it Mm -hmm. i just wanted to ask you kind of what was your highlight of this week oh my highlight of the week was halloween oh how was that halloween was fun we gave away 60 pounds of candy. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> 10 gallons of Kool-Aid and dressed up and watched all the little ghosts and goblins walk by. And that's our penance for not having our yard rolled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have to be out there. We have to do it. We had friends come over and handed out candy. Just one of those days that mm-hmm. you, love. you were working, so you didn't get to come and join. Uh, yeah, I had a late, I had a late day that day. I actually got to wear a costume to work. I don't get so to wear costumes was, to work. So I was a unicorn. So mm. all, all those patients, I, I would come in and <laughs> you know I'd be doing something serious, and I forget I'm dressed as a unicorn. <laughs> I've done that before. So. Yeah, this year it didn't happen. The voodoo doll, the scarecrow, the skeleton. We had several costumes this year, several things to do. Yeah. And Beth from oh, Yellowstone. Yeah, yep. That was a good one. You really, you changed into some I changed costumes. a lot. Yeah. And there was a kangaroo in there at one point. <laughs> yeah. And then a sports fan. You were ready. I was. Ready Four costume changes for the party. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well. Well, gosh, it's hard to make a segue, but... Yeah. um. If you've been with us, we've done dropped you in the middle. We've done a little bit of background from my point of view. We've done a little bit of background from Emily's point of view. And we figured we would start um, right where we started on the first episode, yeah. where Emily disclosed her abuse and and we uh, and what happened as far as uh, the legal system goes for the yeah. first few days. So we wanted to kind of talk about our experiences uh, through the legal system in the days following uh, my disclosure to my mom and kind of what that looks like if you were, um, you know, to be under the age of 18 to report sexual abuse, you know what to expect uh, moving forward in those next couple weeks. A little bit of what to expect. And it's not always going to be cookie cutter. It's not right. always going to be the same because like in our situation, I called the police. They came out, uh, a sheriff deputy came mm-hmm. out, took a statement and probably an hour or so later, um, a detective was assigned to the case and he called me and he said, this is the way it's going to work. Uh, Chattanooga or um, Children's Advocacy Center is going to get the referral. Mm -hmm. They're going to call you. They're going to set up an appointment. 
for Emily to come in to do a forensic interview. Um, they're going to put a report together, and about once a month, the district attorney and all the big wigs meet with CAC and gather up what cases they need to take. Okay. So, this is going to be a long process, and that's what he told me. He said, you know, just expect a call from them next week because this is Friday night, yeah. remember? So, Friday night when you disclosed... Uh, yeah, expect a call from them probably next week, and, and within the next couple of weeks, you'll have to go down there. Okay, well, that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't rush it. Uh, we're just going to have to deal with it. And my mind is swirling around the whole... I hadn't said anything to him except that the kids aren't coming to you tonight. I sent him a text and said that. My dad, yes, Jason. Yes, Okay. Um. The kids aren't coming. I'm keeping them. And and there really wasn't much discussion there. It's almost like he knew you had told me, and I didn't tell him. I, I don't did. think you did tell yeah, him. Yeah, okay. I had texted him and told him because he, that whole day that I was disclosing to you, um, something that we did not get into on the first episode was that he had put software on my phone to track my text messages. So he saw where I was texting my boyfriend at the time, mm. um, and my boyfriend at the time is the one that kind of cornered me into it and said, if you don't tell your mom, I will. Right. Um, which I don't recommend yeah, for anybody who supports a, a, yeah. a survivor. Um, definitely let them come out on their own terms. But for me, it That's worked. what did it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Pause. Okay. Pause for a phone call. I feel like I should be singing right now. My alarm. Oh, (laughs) see, we're all mixed up and weird. Okay. Now that'll be hard to, to adjust that. You don't think so? The, the voiceover for YouTube. Okay. okay, sorry about that. Ah, we're back. So, <clears throat> what I was trying to say is that my dad, the day that I was telling my mom, absolutely knew that it was coming. He was watching my text messages and saw that my boyfriend had kind of said these things to me. And I told him, okay, you know, I'll tell my mom when I get home. Um, so, he called me and said, are you, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to mm-hmm. do this to me? Like, at least, at least wait till Alex is 18 so I can oh. be in Alex's life. I remember um, that vaguely. So, I remember you saying that. Um, he was really trying to talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I bet. Absolutely talked me out of it. I mean, so, um, yeah. So he knew. He knew that uh, I had disclosed. And, okay. And then once the detective came to our house to take, or the police officer came to our house to take the statement that night, um, the police officer said, stop texting him. And I remember. that is when I stopped. He said because you... I was like, oh, I have been texting mm-hmm. him. Of course I have. I text yeah. him every day of every day. And, and Alex was sitting in his bed texting him. Right. And he said, you need to go in there and tell your son to stop right. all communication. Okay. Stop. And, I mean, they kind of did, you know. It it just stopped. And, and he didn't. He was scared. Yeah. He was scared. So, um, he did know. But. The detective 
laid it out that it was going to take a while. So my fears were he's not in jail and, you know, he's crazy. What's he going to do to, to come after us? Like, what's he going to do to try to convince you not to move forward? That kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and my mind is just rapidly swirling around how to protect you guys. And the way I did that, I mean, it was a very sleepless first night for both of us, but we had to take Bo to the airport. I was not going to California anymore, but he still had to go for work. Right. So I thought, okay, this, and I asked the de- called the detective and asked him, is it okay if we leave town? He said, sure, absolutely. And I thought, okay, we're going to go now, tomorrow, Saturday morning, early to Atlanta yeah. to take him to the airport. And that at least gets us a couple of days away. Yeah, just in case, because, <clears throat> you know, my father still wasn't in jail at the time. They weren't right. going to arrest. I mean, that, for we a didn't while. even know it was going to be a long time. So we went to Atlanta and, um, well, actually, let me back up. We planned to go to Atlanta the next morning. Well, the next morning, about 6 30, I got a phone call from the detective. That said, well, things have kind of changed. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay, what? Yeah. He said, during the night, now we have no idea what's going on over at Jason's house, right. but during the night, evidently, he had called 911 several times oh my God. to say, I need to be arrested. Come pick me up. Just come I pick have, me up right now. Come pick me up. I have committed crimes. And they're like, sir, are you are you in danger now? Are you endangering anyone? No, these are past crimes. Okay, we'll send somebody out as soon as possible. When they didn't come quick, he'd call them back. I mean, this is the detective telling me that. Like, I don't know how weird this story is. He's he's like, he just kept calling. When kept are you calling, coming? Say, when come, are you coming? Come pick me up. When are you going to come arrest me? So finally, about... Six o'clock that morning, five thirty or six that morning, he said a couple of sheriffs rolled up and knocked on his door and said, "Okay, sir, what do you have to confess to?" Yeah, what uh, what are we picking? <laughs> what you up are we for? picking you up for? And he said, "I'll confess to anything my daughter has said I did." That's it. What? No, you got to tell us something. No, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you anything. I want a lawyer, but. I will confess to anything my daughter said I did, which, side note, and I say this so much, Mm -hmm. that son of a bitch hung his life on the fact that he thought you would not be brave enough to nail him to the wall. Right. And so in my head, I I think that, you know, maybe... Uh, he thinks that I only disclosed the drug use or the alcohol use. Or maybe, he doesn't know what you said. Or maybe I only disclosed, you know, the abuse that happened when I was nine and didn't continue to disclose the escalation of it. Um, and so I think in his head, he was like, as long as I don't say anything, I won't accidentally... Implicate myself. Right. Yeah. Right. He just wanted to wait and see what I was brave enough to tell an mm-hmm. adult. Which is just cowardice in and of itself. You're going to call the police and say, come pick me up, but then you're not going to tell them what you did. Right. You're going to say, hey, she called and told on me yesterday, and I admit to everything she said. Right. Which is just unfathomable. But that was the call that woke me up Saturday morning. Okay, so he's been arrested. Yeah. Great. They arrested him. They took him in. 
And they put the two cases together, your statement with him saying, come arrest me. Right. So they knew what was coming. I mean, he didn't say anything, but they knew what, what you what had. I of course, had we didn't have any official charges, right. but we went off and, and we headed down to Atlanta without knowing much of anything. The detective said, go do it. That's a great idea. Get out of town. I'll call you if there are any updates. And we were at Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Dave and Buster's of all places, just trying to be normal, just trying to be, get our minds off of it. And I get a call from him and I see it. I panic a little bit and I go outside and he said, well, of course it's the weekend. There's no judge there. It's Saturday. So he's seen the magistrate, I think is what they call it. There's, okay. there's no judge on the weekend. So he's, he's been before the magistrate and his bond was set at $425,000. Right. Like almost half a million dollars. Like, well, he ain't getting out. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, I can breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can breathe. Yeah. And um, we continued on, played our games. I told, I don't even know if I told you. I probably did because, you know, you're 16 at the time and you needed to know what was going right. on and, and that you didn't need to worry. It's okay. He's in jail. Um, we ate dinner, we went back to the hotel, woke up the next day was Mother's Day, which, (laughs) happy Mother's Day. It was a great Mother's Day to wake up with you and Alex safe in a hotel in Atlanta. Right. And, um, we went to drop Bo off at the airport. We stopped at the outlet malls on the way back and got a tiny little scoop of chocolate ice cream. Yeah. I remember that picture. I think you've got the same shirt yeah, on that you did in that shirt. picture today. Weird. Weird. But anyway, we got back and, and you know, life moves on. It it, uh, it it slammed us in the face when we got home with I mean, he'd been arrested, so arrest reports are public, so yeah. Facebook. And we, and we kind of went into that on the first episode, so mm-hmm. We won't recap that here, but what I wanted to go into is kind of from my perspective, what happened legally from there on. Mm-hmm. So a couple weeks later, I don't even think it was a couple week weeks. Later. It might have been a week. And I don't think you had even been to CAC yet. They still hadn't even called for the interview yet because I didn't know what to do. I just knew we had to show up at court on... A particular I day did, at a particular time. So I did do my forensic interview before, before the preliminary okay, hearing. Okay, so we did. So so the first thing that happens is I go into the Children's Advocacy Center for the forensic interview, mm-hmm. which is where you have a psychologist specially trained to mm-hmm. ask questions to children about abuse. Um, and I remember going in, funny enough, it was the same person who had interviewed me when I was 13. With, with the, the initial like drinking and picture pictures. Um, and I remember her face and I remember thinking how I was going to tell her everything this time where I was very careful when I was 13 years old not to um, expose any more than they already knew. But mm-hmm. this time I was just going to tell her everything. And I think that was my thumb. Oh, okay. I think um, – <laughs> This was the first time that I ever realized how serious this situation was because yes, my mom was upset and yes, like one police officer had come to the house, 
but there was a team of detectives. There was the forensic interviewer and I'm 16 years old at this time. So I'm not stupid. I know that there's cameras and that people are watching. And when I come out of the interview room, I peek into the monitoring room and I see how many people were in there and mm-hmm. watching a detective, another therapist, you know, lots of people really invested in this. The first time it really hits me, wow, like something serious has happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're interviewing all of us at the same right. time. They had you back there. They interviewed me. They interviewed Bo. I'm sure they interviewed Alex. I right. mean, some things I block in my mind. And yeah. I may not be remembering that right, but I can't imagine they didn't interview right. Alex. Um, I sat in that interview room and cried. And, and, you know, the one big thing about the interview is they want to get enough information for the legal case. Mm-hmm. This, from here on out, is about the defendant. You know, as you're a victim, as you're processing this, as this is the first time you're telling somebody, at the end of the day, this is from a legal standpoint about the defendant and about gathering evidence for the defendant. And so what they wanted from me were specifics. Do they have enough for a case? They wanted very specific information. They, um, they want you to say it out loud specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, what body part are we talking about? You use the proper name for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they want details and they want you to know when it happened. So a lot of that can be really tough that, that, that was definitely a very tough thing to go through because this was the first time, you know, even when I told my mom, I didn't tell her specifics. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time sitting in a room going, okay, this year, this happened. This year, this happened. Here's exactly how it escalated. Here's physically what happened. And it was, it was hard to, because she's like, I'm so sorry, but we do have to go into more detail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're trying to be really vague about it because you don't want to say it out loud. But I mean, you see it on TV all the time and y- you never think it's going to happen. But like you're watching Law and Order and mm-hmm. they say, you know, his penis was in my vagina, mm-hmm. you know, and it's I mean, that's what they were making you say. Right. Things very specific like that. Not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't. I just knew. Yeah, I just knew I was broken. Right. I was broken. And and all they wanted to interview me for, basically, was to make sure I was not part of it. I was not privy to it, that I was going to protect you guys, that you guys right. were in a safe situation. That was what the interview for me and Bo was. Yeah, just to make sure that we could go home with you. Right. Right. Otherwise, they would have taken you, and, and I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That never entered my mind because I knew I was a non-offending parent and it didn't enter my mind what they would do if if they thought this because it's not true. So. Right. Yeah. And we didn't, we, at that point, we had not met any of the district attorneys yet. We didn't meet them until the preliminary hearing. And okay. whatever they rolled up from your forensic interview at CAC, it got sent to the district attorney who said, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take this case. And she specialized in childhood sexual abuse and childhood abuse. That was her specialty assistant district attorney, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, we were told to be in court for the pre- preliminary hearing. Yes. You were. And so what a preliminary hearing is, is where you just go in front of the judge and the judge decides, is this something with enough evidence to move forward with. to go to the grand it, jury it, it is just 
yeah, standing in front of the judge saying, here's my side, here's his side, and mm-hmm. he decides, you know, are we going to continue with this case? Mm-hmm. And then if he says, yes, we've got enough, then they take it to the grand jury who hears much more detail. And then they decide, the grand jury decides, based on the information they have, what charges are, are to be are to be given. And so we didn't know that at the time. I mean, right. we learned you that know, through the process. Me, because me it going was... in as a 16-year-old, I don't really know what to expect from a preliminary hearing. I thought it was going to be similar to my forensic interview where I'm just kind of sitting in a room and, you know, privately one-on-one, maybe with the judge in the room telling this story. And so I think it's very interesting. It's very valuable to tell people what to expect because this really blindsided me. And I think just added to my trauma a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was oh, it was sure. really difficult. I mean, if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, if you've ever had a traffic violation and, and you have to go to court, you're told to go to courtroom 301 at 8 a.m. And you know what happens at 8 a.m. Everybody who's on the docket that day is sitting in the courtroom. Right. And they're waiting for the judge to call them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we were. Yeah, in this open courtroom with people with traffic violations. Mm-hmm. And and, and the know. DA said she was going to try to get the courtroom closed so that everyone had to leave because you were a minor. Right. She was unsuccessful. Yeah. And it, it was coming close. You know, we're sitting in the, in the galley. I guess that's what you call it. Just like yeah. everybody else. And and so many times the judge was having to hit his, his gavel and say, you, you know, quiet in the courtroom because nobody gives a crap about anybody's case but their own. So right. they're sitting Everyone's there talking whispering to their so. next door neighbor and they're not paying any attention to what's going on up with the judge because they're just waiting for their name to be called. Mm-hmm. And she was unsuccessful getting the courtroom closed. So as we're sitting there, I leaned over to Emily and I said, I know, I know you're scared. You know, you've been told you're going to, you're going to have to say a few facts. You've been told he's going to be standing there with you because they're not separated. You know, you are standing in front of the judge, defendant and, and the state, which we were the state, we were the state's witnesses. Right. And that you were told you're going to be standing right there next to him. We're yeah. going to ask you some questions. I'm going to be as quick as possible, but it's, it, you got to answer them. You yeah. got to answer them. And so we knew that was coming. And so I, I, every time he had to tell the courtroom to be quiet, I was like, okay, this is all right. And I said, Emily, no one's going to, it's going to be okay. Nobody gives a crap what's going on up there. They're talking to themselves. Nobody's going to hear anything. And they call him. Mm-hmm. As the defendant, and then yeah, call the and state. And my dad walks out, and this is the first time I've seen my in dad in his orange jumpsuit since, since shackled. The last time I was with him when he was outside of jail, so shackled. This, this was jumpsuit. crazy to kind of see him walk out like that. And you know what's running through my head? Oh, this is my fault. Like mm-hmm. you know, a lot of blame, a lot of guilt that I brought everyone here today. Just in that time, obviously now that I see that that was a very necessary part of the process. But I'm feeling very guilty. The very first time I see him in that orange jumpsuit, like, oh, my God, that's my dad. And and that's my fault. Um, Well, we processed through that. Right. Right. um, And they called you up there and I asked, can I go? And and Leslie 
our district attorney said, absolutely. And I stood up there with Emily, physically holding her up as she had to tell and answer the questions. Now, let me put you in. They called everybody up there. So five people standing in line. There's uh, Jason's attorney. And then there's Jason. And then there's Leslie, our district attorney. And then there's you. And then there's me. And and we're all standing in a curved line. Up to the ju- Right in at the front judge. Of the he judge. wanted us right at the bench. So we're right, right up by the bench. So it's not a straight line. It's curved line where, like, I can see straight into his attorney's eyes and you can see straight into his. So it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a bad situation right off the yeah, bat. It was really tough to stand next to him like that in that situation. And they had... I don't say preliminary charges. We'll just say, you know, mm-hmm. they, they had rape, incest and, I, and, and aggravated, s- aggravated sexual abuse or something sexual like battery. that. Very, very vague charges, but they read the charges and the courtroom went quiet, silent. You could hear a pin drop. All that chatter, all that everything stopped. Nobody was even breathing. And there we were. And I had just told you, relax, calm down. Nobody cares. They're all talking among themselves. Nobody's paying attention to what's going on up there. They read the charges and it stopped. And I was horrified and had my arms around your waist and physically holding you up while they asked the 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 absolute fewest questions they could ask right. to give the judge an idea of what was going on and i remember the judge was a very old white man mm-hmm. and he couldn't mm-hmm. hear very well so i would say something like of not. and i remember i said something and he said you have to speak up and it, it, the word that I had said was penis. And yeah. I, so I had to speak up and say it really loud. And I just remember that like deafening silence mm-hmm. as that like mm-hmm. echoed across the courtroom. Yeah. And, you know, pretty much everything I said, he was like, speak up. So mm-hmm. I had to say it twice, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm just like was not expecting to be, you know, standing right next to my dad saying all this stuff out loud to strangers when I had... In front of strangers. Right. In front of people who are getting traffic tickets Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. who are just dealing with some misdemeanor charges. And and they're all just in there waiting for their turn. And that room just goes silent. And his last name started with a D. So we were relatively close to the beginning of the docket. And there were lots of people behind us still waiting. It was was tough. It was super tough and really scary. Um, Mm Hmm. I know it was. I mean, it was scary for me. I can't imagine how scary it was for you. But you did it. Yeah. You did it. We were super proud. We got out. We got through it. And the judge, did he say right then, bang, here's your, take it to the grand jury? Or did we have to, what? no, I think he said it right then. I think he said, you know, based on what I'm hearing, yeah, there's we'll, enough. We'll proceed. We will proceed to the grand jury. And set another date. Set yeah. another date. Um we walked outside. Of course, they took him away through the back because he was still in custody. And um, we walked outside where we officially kind of got to talk to our district attorney. Um, Leslie is her name. And uh, we, we got to talk to her. And I just remember 
her telling you how wonderful you did. That was, that, that was amazing. You did so good. You did so good. We're going to move on. We'll give you some dates, this and that and the other, you know, just kind of encouraging you. But then she took me kind of to the side and said, this, you need to know, this is not going to be easy. You need to know, uh, this is not your case. This is the state's case. The state is charging him. Um, but Emily, you, your stories, your family, you are our, you are our witnesses. Without you, we can't go forward with this case. So you need to understand it's going to take a long time and it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was almost like we were encouraged because I was stupid enough to think that's the last time you'll ever have to stand up in somebody and say anything. Right. I mean, I was stupid enough to think that's all they need. All they needed to hear was what you just said and your forensic interview. So, so we got this, you know, you're just like, we got this. Let's go. Give me the next date. Let's do it. And I mean, in the future, you'll find out that that didn't quite happen. I mean, it was, it was a long journey. It was, uh, for anybody out there who may be going through it, who may be worried about it, it, it will come to an end, but, um, it was long. It was hard. It was days and days of court dates and delayed dates and motions to hear this and motions to hear that and testifying. And, you know, it broke my heart anytime I got a phone call or a text message from her that said, you know, we need Emily in court this day because she's going to have to testify. Right. Why? She's done that before. Well, no, you know, not to this judge because we got assigned our judge that mm-hmm. that guy uh that judge was not our judge he was just the I, I don't general court sessions judge not the criminal court judge or whatever we wound up with but um we didn't have to see him again but we did have to see him again right we saw him again when you got a speeding ticket <laughs> In the middle of this, in the middle of this trial. I am, I am still 16 at this time. We okay, had to go. We, break. we sat in that courtroom as a speeding ticket offender. And I mean, that was kind of ironic. It was and, a little traumatic too. Yeah. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm back in this courtroom. <laughs> Gotta go back up there and talk to him about how I'm going to throw myself on the, on the mercy of the court and just give me traffic school so that insurance doesn't go up but I did have to go to traffic school (laughs) that's right because I wasn't going to pay for increased insurance you sped you got caught we don't break the law oh my god (laughs) we go we go fast we speed we don't go over 87 because I have no interest in going back to the future (laughs) I know okay all right bad joke bad joke but but the, the, the civil or the, uh, the court system, I mean, we should have bought stock in the parking garage that was across the street. We, we went so many times. And through all of this, through all of this, I was the only one that showed up to every court date. Because I didn't want you there if you didn't need to be there. If it right. was just, 
information purposes, you know, I never wanted you to be there if you didn't need to be there. But I did not want one single word said to the judge through him or his attorney that I didn't hear. Right. Because he's full of bullshit. And I needed to tell them if he was throwing bullshit. They needed to know. Okay. And, uh, I mean, there were days that we showed up and the judge didn't show up. There were days that we showed up and the district attorney wasn't available, so we had to postpone. There were days that Jason didn't show up for sickness or whatever and that his attorney didn't show up. And one day, one day that Nanny didn't show up because it snowed and she couldn't get across the mountain. But not one single day did they have a court date that I wasn't there. Right. And they knew it. Yeah. They knew it. Yeah. There were so many tricks played. Based on the fact that we were there every time, that that I was there every time, and and they knew, you know, they they started to learn things. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into it later, but basically, you know, the the defense kind of starts throwing out useless motions that drag along this trial to end up being two and a half years. Yeah, by the time he got sentenced, you know, when I was. Initially, starting with this trial, uh, we think you're six. I mean, I was naive enough to think when she told us it's going to take a long time and it's going to be hard. It would hard, be like a year. Maybe. Six months. Right. Six months. Oh, I gotta, we got to go through this. So we can do it. We can do at it. this time, I'm in senior year. In my senior year of high school, I'm about to go to college, mm-hmm. you know, and and. And it, getting you back to testify was a, and I was a, a scheduling nightmare. Right. You know, because when we I, needed I still you. had school. Um, I mean, we would say things like, this is a great week for this hearing. And they would say, okay, December 2nd it is because she's done with finals. And we would go December 2nd and they'd be like, eh, we need to move it. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it, it, it was just. There were so many times that he filed motions that seemed so silly just to delay what was going on that um, I was, it was at that point that I started thinking, why can't they see through his bullshit? Right. And you have to be through with the whole thing and you have to be successful at the end before you can say everything they did. They granted these motions and they granted these delays on purpose so that he could never come back and say his rights were violated. Right. And I understand that now, but boy, during the time I, I was would hard. Cry, I was like, okay, the defendant has the right to a speedy trial. What about the victim? Right. Don't we have a right? To yeah. A speedy we're being trial dragged too? through the mud because this is a, he said, she said kind of trial. Right. And all the protections are on the defendant, That's right? It. There's no protections on the witness of the state. And we were reminded several times, this is not you. About you, yeah. This is not about you. This is about the state bringing these charges to him. And you are simply... A witness. Our witnesses. Our star witnesses. Our best witnesses. And if we don't have you, we don't have a case. So we were often... Actually, funny enough, they had a lot of text messages from his own phone oh, towards yeah. the actual trial. And and we'll do an episode on the actual trial. That was a five-day long... It was... Uh, excursion. Excruciating. 
Um, and we'll get into that at another time because it's going to be hard. We're not here to sugarcoat anything for anybody. I mean, we'd love to tell any listener who may be going through this, who may be thinking that they want to disclose something. We would love to say it's easy, but it's not. But there is so much support out there. And that's what we're here to to advocate for. There's so much support and there's so much guidance. And there's so many people on your side once you do that, that, that you will go through it. You will make it through. After the preliminary hearing, the district attorney was floating um, ideas of... What do you think about a settlement? Settling. Yeah. You know, settlements. Well, and I think the first year they... The first settlement they ever, like... Oh, they had several. They they ever sent out was two years. Yeah, and we were like... Two years. No. And And my mom, you know, being no. the person that she is, has already looked up what... What the maximum charges are and what, what he could get. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he could get 39 years. We're not settling for, for two. two. Because at, in my head, I'm like, damn, I wouldn't even be out of college Mm-mm. by that time. Mm-mm. And, um, you know, and if we had settled for two, definitely a lot of time served would have, you know, he would have been out by now. Oh, yeah. And so in my head, I'm thinking... God, I'm, I'm scared to get up there and testify, but I'm more scared that he gets out in two years. But there's always, there were always teetering moments where, there were, yeah, you know, absolutely. we would get further into it and more, uh, what do they call that when like uh, uh, the attorneys share information with each other? Discovery. Discovery. More discovery. Like she would share something with him and they'd be like, eh, okay, what about nine years? Yeah. Would you settle for nine years? And so the... The settlement offers kept going up and, you know, the, the trial itself, there's so many things we could get into about it, but we have to remember there is no, she flat out said we were such credible witnesses and Emily was such a credible witness. It is a crapshoot without us and she would not have gone to court. Yeah. She always gave us the option. One thing I did want to, um say is that the district attorney did have the power to take those settlements without our without asking she could have just gone settled for two years and moved on to another Mm -hmm. you know yeah she gave us the the human decency to ask us what we thought what do you think what do you want every time every time and i understand from her perspective she needed to know that we were still on board because Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if we weren't on board, she, she that was felt it. like she yeah. wasn't going to win that case. But she could have settled for two. She could have settled for seven. She could have settled for nine. She could have settled for 12. Right. Every time we got those offers, she could have settled. But she asked us what we wanted to do. And I, I know there was one that, that we said, this is it. I'm, we're yeah, done. I think it was a nine-year offer. I think and it was we... a 12. Maybe it was with a, a minimum of nine years served or something. Right. But uh, so we talked about that. That, that was night. right after motions had been filed. And every time a motion was filed, I actually had to come in and testify because it became an argument of whether this motion would pass or not. So it wasn't the actual trial, but it was me having to give testimony as to whether um, the motion would pass. And the big motion that we had in this case was that. They wanted to split the charges into different trials. Severance. They wanted so, to sever all nine charges. Well, we hadn't even gotten into the 
grand jury and what he was charged with. Well, let's with. talk about what he was charged with and kind of how that moved. Well, he went to, they took it to the grand jury. And okay. uh, I don't know how the grand jury works. All that stuff's super secret. And I've never been on a grand jury. But from my understanding, they present everything they have. There are no witnesses, but mm-hmm. they present everything they have. Your your forensic interview, his phone calls, text messages, anything they've gathered. My phone calls, my your, text messages, because Alex's, all of those were on his phone. Yeah. Um, and they, they take all that and they present it to the grand jury and tell them all the legal ins and outs of what they can charge with and what they can't charge with. And then they hand their offering down. So the grand jury indicted five charges of incest, four of statutory rape mm-hmm. and one of aggravated sexual battery. assault or battery. battery aggravated sexual battery i can look it up because i still have tabs on him on my phone it's all still in there because i still look every week to make sure he's that's a spoiler alert let's make sure he's still in prison but right but um they nine they indicted on nine counts which like Emily said, I looked up every one of them and what it's going to take to charge him with them, what it's going to take to, to, to get them passed. And, and, and I became a, a really, really astute student of the law <laughs> in those years. And, and those counts would have gotten close to 60 years if he was found guilty on all of them and right. if he got the maximum sentence on all of them towards the end when we were actually speaking of going to trial um uh Leslie the DA talked to us about dropping the five incest charges because she said they're going to focus heavy on the fact that he was not your biological father right they're going to focus i mean even the grand jury said no this qualifies as incest and we're going to indict him on those charges. But she said, we want to focus on what we know we can win. And if his attorney, public defender, by the way, public defender, if his attorney hones in on this, then he could really confuse a jury Mm -hmm. and he could really focus on something, focus on something not, that doesn't matter right so oh, well i'm not her biological father and, and we end up playing semantics right when that's not what we want to make the trial about right so, so i was okay with it so yeah i was too so we ended up going from nine charges to five mm-hmm. and i think four and say i i'll have to look it up yeah. but i mean you get the picture you get the idea so yeah when we went to trial um it was actually um, five different charges that carried a maximum sentence of 39 years. And I wasn't going to settle for two. Right. I didn't want to settle for any of them. Yeah. I but didn't it was, either. but it was like, like Leslie giving me the, the decency of a phone call to say, what do you think I gave you? Because I'm not the one that's going to have to get up there and tell what happened. So I wasn't, I was only the support. So I came to you with every offer they gave us, except Maybe some of the shitty I ones. think the hardest part was going to college and having to come back home. You know, I really wanted to go to college and, like, stay up there. And I think the first time I had to come back, I went to college in August. I had to come back in September. Mm-hmm. 
you know, to testify for some reason. Um, Probably the severance. Yeah, I think because it was. what they wanted so bad to do was separate all the charges because individually they didn't look so bad. They didn't show a pattern. Well, they're bad. Oh yeah, but they didn't show a pattern. So they wanted to erase the pattern. Yeah, just make them all seem like one-off occurrences one off. instead of like this pattern of grooming and this pattern of, of raising me to be in that position, mm-hmm. which would have, I feel like affected the sexual battery charge, which held the most time. I mm-hmm. think they wanted to tear that one down um, because right. a big part of that was because it was sexual battery by an authority figure. That's that right. was a big one. Um, and so they wanted to tear down the idea that he was an authority figure. They mm-hmm. wanted to tear down the idea that this was a repeated offense. You right. know, there were there were a lot of uh, just arguments like that from the defense. And that's something that as a survivor, if you are going through the legal system, that's one of the hardest parts is to see somebody defend your abuser. That's so hard. Oh, my God. That's so hard. Oh, I remember... Every time, you know, my dad would be taken back to jail through the back, but, you know, his public defender would just walk out the same door we walked out. I remember just staring a hole into the back of his head because I couldn't understand how a person like that could defend my dad. I don't understand how he could be so hard and make this so difficult for us. It it, it was really hard. I took it very personally that he was... He was there. And and technically, I guess, you know, when, when you are a public defender, I think I think there's something in there where attorneys have to volunteer for a certain amount of being a public defender for, right. to have some some clout or some club somewhere. I'm not clout. sure what it is. Because He's he did not clout. work. <laughs> he didn't work at the public defender's office. Right. He was a private attorney that was assigned this case. So it was weird. And I understand, I understand the need for public defenders. And I had to, as opposed to coming home and throwing up every night that we had a court case, I had to remind myself, this guy is defending his rights, mm-hmm. making sure his not rights, defending his not actions. defending his actions, defending his, his rights and making sure that every opportunity he's given to do whatever it is to explain his story or whatever i remember seeing him in walgreens one day oh. and losing my shit because oh. he's <laughs> a normal person who lives in this town he's just, like just us. a normal person and i was uh, oh god and then you know i don't want to fast forward because there's so many things in the trial that i want to talk about in different episodes but what he had what he did during the trial just and we'll talk. If I wasn't already broken, oh God, you know, and, and I'll say this now, we were broken. We were all broken. This whole family was broken, but we were like the little Chinese bowls that get melded back together with gold and they look even more beautiful right after they're fixed. Yeah. And that will happen with anyone that needs to disclose this kind of abuse. I mean, there is help. There is hope. There is a happy ending. Right. Um, well, gosh, I guess that's kind of <laughs> gonna so where, where we're that... going to leave it off. And then we can kind of 
uh, continue the story uh, about the trial in the next episode. Absolutely. Um, Mom, do you have any parting words? Um, what I will always say, if if you want to be heard, email us at survivingonwineandcusswords at gmail.com. Nothing is going to be read on this story, on this podcast. Nothing's going to, we will reach out to you. We will help you. We will give you resources you need. If you just have a question, if you just want to say, hey, I'm glad there's a success story. There is a unique pain that comes along with going through the legal process in this scenario. And I feel like it's not talked about a lot. So if you are going through this, having to you know, even if you're a victim of domestic abuse, if you are a victim of, you know, psychological abuse, whatever's going on that you are fighting somebody in court, we we understand the pain. I, I felt like nobody understood how hard it was for me to get up and walk to that judge's desk. I understood. It was so I did not hard. I empathized. I mean, but I, yeah, I mean, I held you. I know how hard it was because you couldn't hold yourself up. Right. And, and, and we want to be there just as ears or support for anybody who is going through that. There are resources and it's not just us. We'll get into how fucking awesome CAC was for us. We will get into how Fucking awesome the district attorneys were for us. Right. And, and I will and get into that. These people were there for us. I mean, their record was on the line. They they don't want to lose a case, but they were there for us. And, and, and you have support. If you have nothing, you have the two of us. Right. Period. End of discussion. So if you, you know, have a story that you want to share, share about maybe testifying against an abuser or maybe even making a choice not to testify against an abuser for your own mental health and Mm -hmm. sanctity. You know, we were just so fortunate that, um, that my abuser, uh, Jason was somebody who incriminated himself. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so this isn't someone who, uh, it wasn't hard to, to fight against but I can definitely empathize if you were in a situation where you don't remember details or faces or you know there's because so that's a much defense mechanism that's a survival skill to forget it to all. forget and you know somebody says well I need details I need to know why you know it's on this date mm-hmm. why you remember this happening I need specific details and you know, there were a lot of instances that were not charged. A lot. There were a lot of instances that charges were not brought because I could not remember enough details for that to stick as an individual charge. They needed a credible story. And when you could say, oh, I know for a fact it happened on this day at this time because it was his birthday. Right. And we had gone to dinner. And, you know, when you can build enough around it, it's really, it's really hard. And, you know, the, the support that we can offer is really invaluable. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine me as the non-offending parent running across a podcast like this back then. I wanted so bad to talk to somebody who was in my position to, yeah. to give me, what do you do next? 
What do you do next? And and same for you. So we want to, I, I will always end an episode saying, we are here. We are your advocates. We are here and to tell you, you can survive. Of course, if you are somebody who did make a decision to settle or made a decision not to um, pursue legal charges at all, know that that's okay too. And Absolutely. that you made the best decision for yourself. Because you're the In one that matters. In my position at my time, it was something I just wanted to go through. I just felt it in my heart that I wanted I wanted to make sure he was behind bars. That was just part of the fire and the burn for me. But I completely empathize with other people who just, you know, maybe your abuser passed away and you'll never get justice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many scenarios that make everybody's story unique. And just know that if you didn't take this route, that doesn't invalidate anything that you went through. Exactly. And sometimes just talking about it. Even if they weren't found guilty. Even if you did take this route and they weren't found guilty. (sighs) Right. Or you decided to back out and you know, not testify, all of those are still extremely valid as a survivor. Disclosing the abuse is the key. Yes. Because you're out there. Yeah. I mean, so hard. There's so many aspects and so many places you can go with, with things like this and, and know, just like Rebecca told me, just like therapy during this trial not one single feeling that you are feeling is wrong right none of them are wrong you just have to know how to process them okay okay well i think this was a good episode kind of going over the what you're headed for in the legal system right (laughs) and so of course message us any questions comments concerns at surviving on wine and cuss words dot or at gmail.com. And we also have a website, surviving on wine and cusswords.com, uh, that our YouTube and podcast is on. That's right. Um, if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out to loved ones, friends, family. And if you have no one at all, please message us because we are here. We will do everything we can to help. But, we have our finger on you're all not, the resources. You're not alone. Not alone. And that's the important thing. Remember that. Okay. Awesome. We'll see you next time. Yes, guys. Have a great week and we hope to see you in the next episode. Okay. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.